Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody good? Well, I had a great week. I had an international week this week. I was with people from the Canary Islands, uh, Dominican Republic, Argentina. Okay, so I'm getting this over. And then tomorrow I'm going to be with someone, a pastor from China and another pastor from South America. So the Lord really has the nations on His heart. Amen? And He is wanting to send people into the nations, which obviously He's been doing, uh, and He's bringing the nations here. Uh, month, the 7th of November, we're going to have a guy from India. Actually, it's Joyce's dad who has a pretty significant ministry over in India, uh, a, a school, an orphanage, and uh, this sort of... That's where Marlon and Andy went back in last spring. So he's going to be here ministering in the church on the 7th. So that's going to be really good. We're going to get some really fresh downloads from him. So the Lord's just doing a lot. Uh, you know, I've never met anybody from the Canary Islands. Anybody know where that is? Anybody? Tell me. Y'all should know where the Canary Islands is. It's off the coast of Spain, right? Yeah, they speak Spanish there. Yeah, and they say it's real exotic. So if you want to go, there's an open door over there now. Yeah, I would like to go, but you can only go to so many places, right? <laughs> so we're going to be praying that the Lord will uh, help the girls that are in Tanzania. And we're happy that Lizzie is home from India. Let's give her a big hand. We probably already did that, right? Yeah. Well, she got, we already did it, but we're happy she's home. We look forward to hearing from her. And hopefully she just brought some anointing back with her tour that we can get in on it. All right, let's do this. Romans 6, 5. How many people love Romans chapter 6? Oh, man, that is one of the great chapters in the Bible. Uh, I want to read. This is a, a verse I've been meditating on this week that has really been, this really has helped me so much. It says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, everybody say certainly. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that powerful? That's a powerful verse, okay, if you have revelation on it. Well, if you'll notice, in, if you have a Bible that's really a decent Bible, not that any Bible's indecent, but some are cheaper than others, uh, many times you'll see in your Bible words that are in italics in a verse, right? Do y'all know what that is? It's words that are not in the original language. It's words that are added to make the, the sentence readable and understandable. And I will say most of the time, the people who added those words in italics really did a great job, honestly. But this is one verse I feel like they really blew it, okay? Because there are some words in italics here. Uh, it's the second uh, where it says... You know, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, that's perfect. Certainly we, okay, shall be. And right there, those words, in the likeness of, of his, is not in the original language. In the likeness of his. So it should read like this. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall be resurrection. Isn't that good? We shall be resurrection. It's not a likeness when it comes to resurrection. It's a likeness when it comes to identifying with the, with the violent death and the intense suffering of Christ on the cross. But when it comes to resurrection power, there's no likeness. It's we are. In fact, Jesus, one of the things that Jesus said about himself, he said, I am re the, the resurrection. I am resurrection, literally. I am resurrection is what he said. That's a little worth that. And what the Bible is telling us, we can say, I, little I, little I, 
shall be resurrection. Shall. I am resurrection. You are resurrection. So what we see, if we begin to get the revelation of that, no, not just that we understand it in our mind, but we get a real revelation that we literally are walking re- uh, resurrection. We are resurrection. We're not, we don't just have resurrection in us. We're resurrection. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're resurrection. And if you begin to get that revelation, if you read on, on in Romans 6, it says that sin shall not reign in your mortal body. In other words, because you're resurrection, sin does not have the right or the authority to reign in your mortal body. Meaning you do not have to sin. You can take authority over sin and command sin. You can literally command. I'm saying if you've got revelation now, because if you don't have revelation, it doesn't work. Because unless you have revelation spiritually, I hate to tell you that. Okay? This is how the spiritual world works. It works off in revelation. But if you have revelation that you're resurrected, you can, you can look at sin and you can say, you shall not have authority in my body. I do not have to bow to you any longer. And you can begin to have victory in your life. You can have victory over poverty. You can have victory over sickness. You can have victory over death because you're resurrection. Amen? That's good, isn't it? Here's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness. The message of the intense suffering and violent death of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's just a foolish message. But to those, but to us who are being saved, or to us who are being sozoed, anybody know, y'all know that word sozo, it's healing, just in case you don't, most people should know this, 119 times in the New Testament the word salvation is translated sozo, I think that's right, 119, something in that neighborhood, and it means not only having your sins forgiven and getting getting to go to heaven and be with Jesus for eternity, it also means healing. Uh, when, G, when the woman with the issue of blood, he said, Daughter, your faith has sozoed you. And we translate it healed you. Your faith has sozoed you. Jesus used that word sozo for healing. And also means deliverance. Okay? So what we see here, Paul is saying, this message of the cross of Christ, the message of the blood of Jesus, for us who are being saved, it's literally the power of God in our lives. It is the source of power. It is the power. It's not only just a source. It's power. And when we begin to get this message in our heart, we begin to get this message in our life in a, in a more real way, then the power of God, resurrection, becomes a reality in your life. Are you following that? And then Romans 8.11 tells us how. Because every Christian is interested in the, in the how, right? All of us want to know how to do our homework. You know, my kids used to want to know, how do you do these math problems? I was good at math, so I had all kinds of shortcuts. And I would do them and show them how to do the shortcuts, and they could never figure it out because the teacher was teaching them a confusing way. What I call the long cut. You don't need all that. Here, let me just tell you how to cut right through that and how to make this work. And, you know, there's a lot of tricks in mathematics. You get to learn them, but teachers don't believe that. They don't, for some reason, the school don't believe in that, but I did, you know. Anyways, this is the how of heaven. But if the, Romans 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay? He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, what? To your mortal bodies. Okay? He will give life. He will give not just any life. He will give resurrection life 
to your mortal. It says that. It don't say to your spirit. It says to your mortal body. That includes your mind. That includes your emotions. That includes your will. It includes every part of you. It includes your old physical self. One of these days, I'm going to get my healing in my eyeballs because I'm going to get rid of glasses because I'm saying, Lord, I want the resurrection power to come into my eyes because I have a condition in my left eye which the doctor says there's nothing we can do for your eye because you were born without a nerve in your eye that you need. Uh, it doesn't focus. It doesn't work. You know, I can see, but it's, it doesn't work. So my right eye does all the focusing. So I can't see real far, and I can't see real close. But I believe one day, you know, you get 40, your corneas get hard, and they don't focus good. Well, I got double trouble. And you don't, you know, that LASIK surgery. I was like, let me get this LASIK surgery. And they said, no, because you only have one eye that works. And we would never, uh, you'd never be a candidate, because if you lose that one eye, you're just doomed. But I believe the Lord wants to heal eyes. So everywhere I've ever been, if somebody has a word of knowledge about eyes, I'm the first one up. I'm getting up. I'm in. And, and one day it's going to happen. One day the manifestation of that's going to come into my eyeballs. See, I believe in that. I don't believe in wearing glasses for the rest of my life. I believe in the resurrection power that God wants to release to people. Amen? He will give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you, the Holy Spirit. That's powerful, isn't it? So we love the Holy Spirit, and we love the Father, and we love Jesus Christ. And so you should, too, if you don't, this morning. Amen? All right, I want to now shift gears and read. I was just sort of getting you. See, I believe God wants to, he wants to tantalize you with the cross. You know what being tantalized is? Well, y'all know what that is. Many men know what being tantalized is. Women know what it is when they go to the mall and look at the dresses. Okay, men know what it is when they go to the mall and look at the women looking at the dresses. They're being tantalized. Well, God wants to tantalize with the cross. That when we hear about the cross and we see the cross, we think about the blood of Jesus, it stirs up something in us. It causes us to, I want that. I need that. That's something I want in my life. And that's what He's doing right now. God is releasing a fresh revelation of the cross and the blood of Jesus to the body of Christ in this day. Because we're in a day of great shaking and in great transitions and a great storms have hit the nations of the world. And, and that's what we need to get, you know, to get through this time is to begin to see something. Uh, and so uh, wisdom, Romans, no, Proverbs 9.1, this is a great verse. Let me, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. In other words, wisdom has built a house. And has, wisdom has built her house on seven pillars. And so I would like to say to you, uh, those seven pillars are the seven sayings of the cross. Those seven pillars are the seven times Jesus blood, bled for us on the cross. Those seven pillars could be the seven times that Jesus said, I am. You know, he had seven I am's. It's pretty interesting. I think we could go and have a picture, you know, where like one says, I am the way. Uh, and uh, then we could put, Father, forgive them. There's a correlation somehow. I haven't got it yet. But each one of those are really important. They all go together. Three things, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. So there's some revelation that God wants to give the church about those seven things, seven I am's, the seven times He bled, and the seven words from the cross. Well, I haven't got all that. I'm just telling you, I'm tantalizing you, you know. But here's the thing. In this time... The, what the Lord is doing in people's lives 
is He's exposing our foundations. Okay, the Bible says, if the foundations of the, are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the answer is nothing. If a foundation in a house is destroyed, what can you do for that house? Nothing. The house will fall in and, and, and fall apart. So in this time, God is, has allowed our foundations to begin to get exposed. Anybody had that? Where things are not, you know, and see, that's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God because He wants us to look at our foundations at this time so they can be repaired, they can be fixed. So in the future, when there is a storm that's like the perfect storm that comes, we, our foundations will be solid, they'll be sure, and we will not be blown away by it. So we're in a time of mercy, I believe. I, even though it doesn't feel mercy, it's an exposure of things that God wants you and I to see so we can do something about it. So these seven pillars are the foundational pillars of our life that we have to build our lives on. And if we'll build our lives and make sure these pillars are taken care of in our life, then our lives will work. We will be blessed. We'll be prospered in our lives. And so this is why Jesus said these seven... I got a piece of candy in my mouth. It's getting in the way. And Becky is getting mad. <laughs> okay. The seven pillars. Jesus, I want to remind you, the, the, the seven last things a dying man has said is the most important things. And this dying man happened to be Jesus. He was saying, these are the things that are vitally important in your life on this earth. If you don't get anything else I ever did... I can hear Jesus thinking this. If you don't get anything else, I ever said all my other teachings, all the other revelations, all the healings, all the miracles. If you didn't get nothing out of those, get something out of these because this is going to be the thing that's going to keep you in your life here and cause you to be the overcomer that I've called you to be. Amen? Let me give you a quick review. The first one, are you all okay? I think I'm going fast. I just got this fast gear. Uh... Wow, the supreme importance, uh, Luke twenty three thirty four, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Uh, that's the number one, the supreme importance of, of forgiveness, of living a life of forgiveness. And understanding that forgiveness, first of all, comes from the Father. That The Father is the one who actually does the forgiveness, and He's imparted forgiveness into us. Uh, that's vitally important to know and live. Also, it's vitally important to know the part they do not know what they do. Jesus said that about men who viciously and calculated attacked him brutally and, and did what they did to him, but he says they do not know what they do. And remember the word they. It's not going to be one or two or three or four people in your life that you're going to be faced with the, the great dilemma of forgiveness. Okay? But this is vitally important. Jesus says you've got to live a life of forgiveness and one of the people I have found in my life, surprisingly, that one of the people that I find that people struggle most with, with forgiveness, is themselves. Many sincere believers who have fallen into what I would call a major sin, like adultery, which is a major sin, were able to forgive all the parties involved and all the peoples and all the situations involved, but the one person they struggle the most with forgiving is themselves, of why they let themselves get into that state of mind and do that. I've talked to people about that, and they couldn't get free. And you immediately think, well, you need to forgive that person for seducing you. And I have. It's no big deal. We had a situation with a woman, Becky and I ministered to, who had been uh, sexually abused by a family member. 
like an uncle or a cousin or something like that. And she, we talked to her like, you've got to, you know, you've got to forgive that man. Oh, I forgave him. You know who she didn't forgive though? It's her parents for allowing it to go on. Isn't that something? You see, a lot of times forgiveness, we don't realize there's other things, other people, including ourselves, or including somebody who didn't do anything wrong, really, because our parents obviously didn't know this was happening to her, but in her mind. So you see, forgiveness as a lifestyle is such a, a key thing that God really wants us to know. You've got to have forgiveness. You've got to walk in forgiveness. You've got to receive forgiveness. And you've got to give forgiveness. Amen? All right, the next one is Luke twenty three forty three, And Jesus said, said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And that is speaking of true identity. Jesus, at his worst moment, at his absolute bottom place where he neither looked like, it neither seemed like, nothing he had said seemed like it was going to happen, yet he believed one thing about himself as he was dying on that cross. He never quit believing that he was the Messiah. And he could boldly say to that man, you will be with me today in paradise. So here's what happens the most. See, this is the, the key about identity. We could never preach on identity too much. Never, ever, ever. Never for the rest of our life we could talk to you about who you are. Who is your identity? Who is God the Father? Because God the Father is the only one who can give identity. He gave Jesus that identity. Jesus didn't make it up. He didn't figure it out. He didn't read scriptures about it. He got it directly from heaven. And see, that is the one thing that every Christian must have for you to really... You've got to get this identity from God. And only the Father can give identity. But you must have it because in your greatest moments or your worst moments, it's going to tell on you. Okay? It's going to tell on you. Uh, because many people in their worst moments, they chunk everything that God has said to them. Have you done that? Anybody besides me? <laughs> I have done that many times in my life. I couldn't believe nothing that God has said. Suddenly it just seemed irrelevant to me because I was suffering an identity crisis. Okay? But so we, God will bring us to a place where no matter what happens to us, we know who we are. Listen, that thing that uh, that guy said, Adrian Rogers, you've got to know who you are and whose you are. If you know that, you're good. You're going to be safe no matter what. You're going to get through. So identity is key. And so really you need, if you don't have that identity thing settled in your heart, you've got to get it settled. But only the Father, Mark 1, verse 9 through 11, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what the Father said to Jesus. That's where Jesus got his identity from. If Jesus needed that experience, do not think that you can get through this life and, not, and successfully and not have that experience. You will not be. You will, it will, you'll get taken out. The enemy will take you out over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Amen? I love that, though. That's a great revelation. It's even greater when you have it. You know, your life will change. All right, number three, John 19, 26 through 27. Uh, this is when Jesus was on the cross, of course, and then his mother was there, and, his, and uh, John the disciple was there, and Jesus said, Woman, behold your son. Uh, that's what he said to his mom, and then to John, uh, Behold your mother. And so what Jesus was talking about there in our lives, the supreme importance of vital relationships in our life. Okay? The supreme importance of vital relationships. In other words, Jesus was telling us, listen, this is important to you. This is foundational life. God has given you certain relationships in life, and those are of supreme importance to you. And you must make sure, above all else, you take care of those relationships. Right? There's many of those relationships. There's family, you know, immediate family. There's friendships that God gives you. There's a relationship with the body of Christ that we, God really requires of us to have. 
And so we have to really pay attention to relationships if, because if those relationships get messed up, you're going to be messed up in your life, period. That's why the New Testament talks a lot about relationships. That's why the, the Lord's Prayer begins with what? Our Father. Okay? It wasn't just that God, knowing God's a Father, which is a key thing, but knowing that, that He's relational and everything about Him is relational. And that He's created us to be relational beings. Even How many people are introverts in this room? You get overloaded when you get around people. Well, I'm a great introvert. That's what I am. I just go insane if, I get, if I'm around people all the time. That's the way it feels to me. I feel like my world's coming apart. Well, even an introvert has to develop and, and take care of the relationships in their life. Okay? And let me tell you something about introverts. All right? introvert, being an introvert is, can be a gift from heaven, but it can also be a detriment to you if you bow to your introvert ways. You, you've got to allow the Lord to... To Psychiatrists people will even tell you uh, that you can become, you know, an extrovert can become more introverted and the introvert can become more extroverted. There's this, this balance that God wants to give people. People who suffer with real shyness and with real, real withdrawal from other people don't want to be around people. Something's wrong with that. Can I tell you that? I'm going to tell you that there is something bad wrong with that. And you know why I know? Because I was one of those people for years. There's something wrong when we're like that. Something bad wrong. You need to ask the Lord to heal you, okay? Because that is not the kingdom. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Amen? Are you all all right with that? Because I can just know, I just know about this. I hate to tell, my, tell you. I know all about that. This also speaks of, you know, when Jesus was suffering there, he really had a heart for other people still, okay? He was concerned about his mother. He was concerned about his disciples. See, here's what happens to most people. You get in a mess in your life, what do you do? You go into the shutdown mode. You go into the close the hatches, circle the wagons. I've got to take care of me because I ain't got time for everybody else. Okay, now that's a wrong place to be. Okay, because here's one of the keys. To, to really get you, if, if you're in a mess this morning in your life and you're in the withdrawal mode, here's what, that you're going right into the enemy's hands because it's going gonna, it's gonna to prolong your trial. It's going to prolong your difficulty. It really is. Because God created us to really be able to minister to other people always. Okay? Even in our worst moments. So I have found in my life, if if I'm in a mess, the way to get out of it is not to focus on me. Okay? Because here's what that does. Okay? Let's just get real. You get ate up with self-pity. You know? And there's nothing worse than being around a person who's consumed with self-pity. It's just terrible being around them. You know? That's not kingdom. Jesus was not ate up with self-pity at that moment. He had a, still had a heart for other people. And what it does is it accelerates you out of your mess. In other words, this is what I suggest to people. If you're going through financial calamity, find somebody else who's going through financial calamity and pray for them and minister to them, speak life to them. Sickness, anything, any kind of difficult, relational problems, any that, try to keep a heart towards other people you know, and releasing that. Because what you're doing is you're releasing life out of you. And as you're releasing that life, life is coming into you. I'm telling you, that's the way out. If you want out, that will help get you out quicker than otherwise. I have found that to be true. Because I've been through a bunch of messes in my life. Okay? So I've tried every angle on it. All righty. Are y'all good? Are we moving along? Number four. So that's the first three. Number four. That was my comprehensive review. <laughs> All right. John 19:28. This is the, the number four. Uh, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, 
I thirst. That's what he said. That's, so that's what I thirst. Now, that word in the Greek, I thirst, means this. Uh, if you're a Greek expert, you would know this. It means I continually thirst. In other words, I've got this ongoing thirst in my life. Of course, number one, Jesus was fully man. Okay, so he was suffering from intense thirst on that cross. I mean intense thirst because he was absolutely dehydrated beyond measure and had probably lost the majority of his body, bodily fluids in him at that point. He was just, you know, racked with fever. So he was, as someone said in the first service, his tongue was probably the size of a golf ball. No, a softball. Because I was thinking golf ball, I'm thinking softball. You're kidding me. You know, because of the thirst. So you know what he was saying was important. Don't you love that Jesus was suffering so bad and he really kept wanting to tell us stuff that was important? That's why this is important, because he was really in a bad way at that moment. You know, he was really in a bad way. He was on the verge of death. He was in a terrible situation. But he was kept, but he kept releasing his life out of, out of himself at that moment. That really will have an impact in your life if you think about that a lot. Anyways... What I try to do is, this, this is what I've been asking you to do, and I hope you're doing this, is you get these scriptures and you meditate, okay? Now, in the biblical meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind, okay? It's filling your mind with scriptures, okay, and images around these scriptures that you, the Bible says, set your mind on things above. Well, this is a great way to take these scriptures and set your mind on that and, 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 and let your imagination be redeemed and begin to imagine Jesus trying to speak in the condition he was in. And then begin to think about thirst, okay, about him thirsting. Just let that just go over and over in your mind and fill your mind with those thoughts. And this is what will happen. Something will happen to you, okay. Something will happen in your life. And this is the end result, is you will love Jesus more, you will be more hungry and thirsty for him than you ever have been in your life. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. You know, I'll put up, you know, if I was a gambler, man, I'd put my house up on that. You know, that's all I got these days. I'm just telling you, this will work if you'll truly do it. God will do something in your life. He'll change, change your life. Uh, but here's the key, okay? Thirsting is very important. He was not only just saying he was physically thirsty. I've, that's pretty obvious and clear he was. But he was also talking about something spiritual, okay? He was talking about how important it is that you and I as believers stay thirsty in our life for him, okay? That that is a key foundation in your life is you've got to really see that cultivating thirst, cultivating hunger. He could have said, I'm hungry, but he wasn't. But it's the same thing spiritually. Now, this is what uh, Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So Jesus said this is a blessed thing when we have spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst on us. It's a blessed thing. But this is what it, that could say, uh, literally in the Greek it would say, spiritually prosperous. Okay, so Jesus was telling us, this is how you can prosper in your life. Spiritually or prosperous are those... Who, or those hungering and thirsting as a continual thing for righteousness, because they themselves shall be filled so as to be completely satisfied. They themselves shall be filled so as to be complete. So this is a promise from the Lord about the thirst, the spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger that, that He has given mankind as a gift. Okay? As a gift. Okay? Every person on this earth has thirst in their life. There is not one person in this room that doesn't have thirst. 
Okay, because God created us all with thirst. Here's what the problem is. The problem is, this is a big problem too, is how we satisfy the thirst. Okay, it's a big problem. Now listen to what Jesus said. Are y'all good? This is John 7, 37. It says, if anyone... Okay, so that means any person. That means any person. If anyone thirsts. In other words, Jesus was saying, every man has thirst. But if that man does thirst, okay, let him come to me. Okay, in other words, this, that's the key point. Is where you get that thirst satisfied is, is critical in your life. It is going to determine your life and determine how you do in this life. In other words, that is a column. If you don't get that thing right, your house is going to collapse. It's going to collapse. You, you can be the most forgiving person in this room. You can, you can be a person who's got their identity settled in life. You can be a person who really has ministered to other people and has got great relationship. But if you don't have this, your house is going down. It's going to fall because you're getting your thirst satisfied with something else. If anyone, let them come to me and drink. So it's, it's challenging for us, okay? It's challenging for the church. It's challenging in evangelism to get people to see, not that they're thirsty, okay? That ain't really the deal. They're thirsty. You're thirsty. I'm thirsty. It's getting them to, to thirst for the right thing. That's really where the real challenge is. Because everybody in the world who doesn't know Christ, they're feeling that thirst, constantly feeling it. It's constantly being, that the thirst is being taken care of. Okay? The sad thing about a lot of believers is we're also feeling that thirst with something besides the Lord. And what's happening in our lives, we're being deceived. Okay? Because we think we're being satisfied, but we're really not. It's temporary. In fact, it's really deceptive. It's leading you astray. I gave this example. This is a great example. I can testify this example because I've done this. Is I have in my life have had times of what I call calamity, where God just came in and jerked the rug out from under my life, and my life fell apart. Guess guess who got really thirsty and hungry for God in those moments? I was going after God like the house was on fire. I needed God really bad. I was desperate for God. And then God would come into my life and restore the order in my life and get me back on my feet, take care of my household, get me, get me back the income flowing in my life. And I was great, but it won't long. Guess what I was doing again? Suddenly that desire and that desperate, desperate state that I had towards God was gone. It was gone. I was, just, I was fat, dumb, and happy. Literally. You know, that's why Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and learn how to abound. Okay? He said, any state, I can be in any state and still be desiring, desiring God and going after God, thirsty for God, hungry for God. That's, he learned that. And so I learned in my life, because I kept getting tired of calamity hitting me. That's, that's how it got to me. It's like, Lord, I'm just, why, is it, why is my life like this? And this is what He revealed to me. Because this is the only time that you'll really go after me. And I really want to be with you, and I love you, and I want to reach you. So I allow things to come in your life to mess your life up so you will suddenly turn back to me and go after me. But that's not the way I really want your life to be. And if you can find a way in your life to really go after me all the time, you won't have as many times of turmoil in your life. It doesn't say you won't have them. That's what he told me a few years ago. 
when I was in a really bad situation. And I made a decision in my life. When I get out of this situation and everything is good again, okay, when I'm not having to go and try to figure out how to pay my electric bill, you know, I am going to keep going after the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to desire Him and to love Him and to have this thirst for Him and have this hunger for Him. And, and the things that are tricking me and deceiving me that keep me from doing that, I want you to show me, Lord, because I'm tired of this stuff. I'm, you, you understand what I'm saying to you? I bet there's people in this room, you really know how, what I'm saying to you. Okay? So I kept having, I was, when I was meditating on this, Jesus saying that he was thirsty, I'm thirsting, just, I kept seeing this picture in my mind of these two guys in a raft out in the middle of the ocean. Okay? And they had no water with them, no bottled waters. Y'all have seen movies, right? And they're desperately thirsty because they've been out there in the sun all day. You know how their lips get to looking bad. They're all broken apart because they're drying out. Y'all seen movies like that, right? Well, see, that's what I was just seeing these two guys. And I was one of them. <laughs> that was the sad thing. I was one of them. My lips were all busted open. I was burnt, sunburned real bad. And I was just in a rough, rough way. And... My friend, who I didn't know who he was, was with me, and he was trying to talk me through this moment. I think I know who the friend was. And I was saying, I'm, I'm so thirsty. I'm going to die. It's southern, and there's all this water around me. I, I got, I, and he would talk me out of it. Don't drink it. It's not good for you. I promise you. So I went through this little scene in my mind, and finally I quit listening to my friend when he wasn't looking. And I reached over and started gulping up the seawater. Okay? And something bad happened to me. Okay? I died. And so I thought, I wonder if that's really, I wonder if, is that really true? Because that's in the movies, right? People do that in the movies. I went and did some research on drinking seawater. Because here's the truth. There's people in this room, you're drinking seawater. And whether you know it or not, it's getting you. It's getting you. You think you're being satisfied by something. But it's not satisfying. You know what it's going to do to you? It's going to kill you. It's going to take you out. This is what this is this is what it says. If you drink salt water, seawater, this is what happens to your body. Don't you love the internet? You can act like you know bunches of stuff and really you just print it off the internet. But this is it. I did print this off the internet. Your metabolism will shift into crisis mode sooner or later. Your life is going to shift into crisis mode. That's what was happening with me in my life. I was going from these crises because I was drinking something I shouldn't be drinking. You see that? And this, these crises would come upon me. Suddenly, everything falls apart. Somebody gets sick. I lose all this money. I don't have a job. You know? I don't have a future. I don't have a vision. Where's God? Why are you doing this to me, God? You're in a crisis mode, Byron, because you drank something and that, it puts you in that crisis mode. Water will flood will flood out of every cell in a vain effort to dilute the salt and cleanse the body of it. That's what happens in your body. It flood, your cells deplete themselves of the water, of the liquid that's in them, to get that salt out of your... Because seawater is very salty. Uh, the cells need water, though, and this outward flood leaves them dangerously dehydrated. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Spiritually, we become dehydrated. The flip side of the problem is that the blood cells are dangerously overworked in their effort to carry the excess water and salt down to the kidneys. 
okay, which results in what? Kidney failure, which, guess what? When your kidneys fail, guess what happens to your body? You get what? Poisoned. It start, you, your body begins to start getting poisoned, which causes seizures. It causes hallucinations. Okay, you, a lot of Christians are walking around, they're having hallucinations. They're saying stuff that ain't right. They're claiming God's telling them to do something, and you're looking at them like, that is not God. God does not tell people to do stuff like that. You're, you're in delusion. You know, you ever heard of delusional Christian? I'm always saying, I don't want to be one of them, Lord, because I could be deluded. I could be saying, I'm hearing about delusion Christian. I'm one of the most delusional. I don't, please help me not be, But it's from drinking the wrong thing. It's from drink, trying to satisfy yourself. Okay? It causes a seizures, unconsciousness, and, and eventually brain damage, and eventually you die. Now, that's what happens with drinking seawater. And that's what happens to Christians when they go and try to get their thirst that God gave them as a gift. A gift. You have a gift of thirst. And when you're trying to satisfy it with some, something else and you don't even know that it's happening to you, that's the terrible thing about it. But the good news is the Holy Spirit knows. And He'll tell you. Okay? He'll tell you in your life, your circumstances, or He'll, he'll let you know. In some way, He'll let you know you're drinking the wrong thing. It's killing you. It's killing you. The way he did it with me was through my crisis, one crisis after another crisis, crisis to crisis to crisis. You know, the mountaintop to mountaintop scripture. Well, I was living from crisis to crisis because God was just trying to get my attention. So, so I think, okay, now, now here's a great thing. Uh, I said, Lord, what? Tell me the one thing. Tell me the one thing that a person that that gets into a person that causes them to start drinking the wrong. I'm talking about believers. Like, what could happen to me that would cause me to start drinking and not really know it? And he told me, and I said, well, I'm not going to talk about that Sunday, Lord, because that's not, I don't want to talk, I want to talk from a positive kind of, you know, so I'm not going to talk about that. But the Lord told Becky, and she got up this morning, I didn't say it, she got up this morning and started talking about this is the thing that's going to get you. So I'm going to let her finish the message. Since she did it in the first service, I'll let her do it again. Well, I never know what Byron's going to preach on, but um, this morning um, as I was getting ready to come over and I started actually thinking about a study that we did here years ago at this church and it was a Henry Blackaby study. And it's about how um, really through the Old Testament there's a pattern of behavior with, you know, the, the children of Israel. And it's this they pretty much would go, this is how it would go. There would be a Christ, you know, uh, the people of God would go and there would be no hunger for God. They'd turn their backs on God. And then they would begin to cry out to God. And God would hear them. And they would respond to God's coming near to them. And they would go into revival. Okay? And then as the revival waned, the people of God would begin to not cry out to God anymore. And it's a pattern that you see all through the Old Testament with the people of God. And, and for some reason, I was really thinking about that this morning, not even knowing what Byron was preaching on, and was saying, Lord, you know, that really is not the way you've created us. You've, you've created us to stay constant with you, and you really, when you died on the cross, really that's what happened. You, you gave us a remedy for that, and it was really your blood 
and your spirit being poured out in the earth. And we now have a river of life that is flowing through us that is hunger and thirst all the time. And so we really, he has now, you know, that is, that's the old covenant. We now live in the new covenant. And so I just really thought about that this morning. And, was, um, and so I feel like the Lord's speaking to us. And um, I just really do. I feel like we need to have ears to hear because there's obviously some of us that fall into that trap. And uh, the next thing I really was thinking about this morning is what is the one thing that really gets us off track to begin drinking from another, from really from dirty water? And I felt like the Lord said it's this thing of um, distraction. It's the, ver- the first step in our walk where we begin to drink from the wrong thing, from the wrong source of water. And it's distraction. And distraction is really what leads to sin. It's the initial thing that gets us we begin to become, and it's a seducing spirit, actually. That A seducing spirit from the dark side that begins to get us um, drinking from the wrong source. So if you just stand up this morning, I really wanted to pray over both of those things. And, um, mm, wow, it just felt like the... Holy Spirit, just as y'all stood, wow, wow, just came in the room. So, Lord, right now, we just want to, Lord, we just thank you for your presence, first of all. Lord, you are the helper, Holy Spirit. You always come to our aid, and we thank you, Lord. And so right now, we just say, Lord, we just, first of all, want to say, we acknowledge that, Lord, you have died on the cross, you have come with the cup, the new covenant, Lord. You drank the cup of, of uh, suffering, Lord, so that we would no longer, Lord, have to fall into that pattern, Lord, of having to just cry out to you when we're in crisis. That, Lord, you've come and you've made the better way, Lord, through your blood, through your suffering, that we now have a river in our bellies, Lord, that is continual flowing. And Lord, we just say we want to drink from the river of life, Lord. We thirst for you, Lord. We just say, Lord, we, by your grace, Lord, right now, I just feel like you just have given us grace, Lord, that we can live continually thirsting after you, Lord God, thirsting Our soul thirsts for you and hungers for you, Lord God. And Lord, we we just repent, Lord, for distraction in our life. Lord, from beginning, Lord, to drink from another well. And we ask you to forgive us for that, for drinking from the well of distraction. Lord, and I believe this, Lord, that 98% of that is good stuff. It's really good stuff. It's not sin. It's good stuff. And we just ask you to forgive us. Lord, we just say this, that, Lord, only you can satisfy us. Lord, we really, truly are lovesick for you, and only you can satisfy us. And so today, Lord God, we just, Lord, reposition again. Lord, we go to the cross. We go to what you've already done so we can live. Lord, continually in a relationship with you, thirsting and hungry for you, Lord God. Oh, Lord, it's in us. You've done it. You, only you can satisfy us, oh, Lord. And we just say, Lord, we only want to be satisfied by you. Lord, we want to drink from that well, Lord, of thirst and hunger, of only you satisfy 
Only you satisfying. We could get the ministry team up here now. So if y'all could come, I just feel like the Lord really wants to loose us. He wants to pop this cork that is inside of us today because there is thirst and hunger inside of each and every one of us. Every one of us. And the Lord wants to deliver us from distraction and from only crying out to the Lord when we're in trouble. And I believe the ministry team can just lay hands on you today and pop that cork where that thirst and that hunger will begin flowing again, Lord. And, Lord, you have given us this word today. I believe it's from you, Lord, that no longer will we just cry out when we're in crisis. Lord, that is not your way. Lord, you have delivered us from that through your blood, through your blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you just come on out now. Woo! Lord, we just right now just thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The only you can satisfy us. Dean gave me this scripture. It's out of the resurrection or the, the crucifixion psalm. It's uh, verse 14, uh, Psalm 22:14. It says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. That's, this is Jesus talking about what's happening to him in the cross uh, prophetically through David. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Death, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They de- divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So you can see the Lord declaring, you know, how uh, He said He was poured out like water. And he experienced that so we wouldn't have to. He experienced that so we could drink from him and drink from him and drink from him and really live a life of fulfillment and being content in our life with him. And see, Jesus paid a great price for this gift that we're talking about this morning. This is not a small thing. Jesus, Jesus literally lost his, all his bodily fluids. Okay? For us. And that's why we're saying this is really important this morning. Because if it was important enough for him to, to go through that, it is really important for us to say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to satisfy me. I repent for allowing other things to, to satisfy that thirst in me and that, that really are destroying me. So I'm just saying, you know, if the Lord's speaking to you this morning, respond to him because he really wants to release the power of the cross in that way into your life. I just believe there's some people in the room that have really have left the Lord in their hearts and have really drank from the cup of the world to satisfy that thirst. And if that's you and you feel the Lord moving on you this morning, you're feeling the Lord tugging on your heart, I'd really encourage you to come up because it's really important to respond to the Lord. A lot of times people don't really understand why people come forward, but it's a threshold we have to step over and respond in. There's just something about your will stepping over that threshold and responding and coming. So I just encourage you to do that. And I believe there are people in the room that have really not committed themselves to the Lord today that it is time to stop running from God. And I would just encourage you that I feel like the Lord's dealing with you this morning in your heart. That it's really time to go to the, to the well of living water today. Go to the source of all life and surrender to Him. This is really 
the greatest thing you will ever do is surrender your life to God, your Father, your Creator, who made you, who knows what you need before you even ask to surrender to the work of the cross. And I would just encourage you. I just feel like the Lord is dealing with hearts. He's pulling on hearts to really come to God, to respond to God today. Just to come, to step over that threshold and come and surrender your will to Him. Thank you, Lord.